Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and a person who is afraid of death. I'm also a huge history nerd. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, anything weird, dark, funky, and much more from the past. Each day, I'm going to share some of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's dig into today's stories with a trigger warning for talking about addiction and death. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. Today in 2014, a sobering statistic was announced. The chance for an American citizen dying of an opioid overdose had officially become higher than that of dying in a car accident, according to the U.S. National Safety Council. The National Safety Council came to this conclusion after studying preventable injury and fatality statistics in 2017. They also concluded that lifetime odds for dying of an opioid overdose were higher than that from dying from a fall, drowning, or fire. They used both state and federal data to complete this study. The official odds of dying from an opioid overdose are 1 in 96. For car accidents, the odds are 1 in 103, and for falls, 1 in 114. The lifetime odds of suicide are higher than all of these, at 1 in 88. These are really sobering statistics, and it's hard to talk about them without thinking about how scary it is that all of these things are possibilities. Part of the problem with the opioid crisis is that people think it won't affect them, or the people that they know personally, because it is so shrouded in shame. People don't think of it as a threat because it's always something that happens to other people. But it's important to remember that it can happen to anyone, that opioid use disorder is easy to fall prey to, and that you never know what circumstances in your life might bring you into a bad situation. Even though these statistics are scary, it's also important to remember that the way that they're calculated doesn't actually mean that each individual person has a 1 in 96 chance of dying of an opioid overdose. These stats are compilations of statistical averages over different parts of the country during an entire lifetime, not a prediction of an individual's life. Still, they're an important reminder of just how pervasive this crisis is and how much everyone needs to be vigilant about it in their daily lives. In 2017, the number of preventable deaths was 169,936, which was a 5% increase from 2016 and a 96% increase from 1992. Though they are indeed scary, these studies are super important in terms of realizing what real risks are on a daily basis and figuring out how to work towards preventing them, both personally and as a society. The National Safety Council shares these numbers in hopes that it will help prevent more deaths from preventable causes. Opioid use became a public health problem in the 90s. At first, it mostly affected young and middle-aged white males, but the problem has spread to people across all demographics. Many opioid addictions get started when people are prescribed opioids after surgery for pain management, but the drugs are so addictive that many people become addicted to it without realizing. Therefore, opioid abuse comes from both prescriptions and illegal means of procuring the drugs. The crisis is worsening partially because of the presence of fentanyl, an illegal painkiller, working its way into drug markets. The National Safety Council recommended increasing pain management training for doctors who prescribed opioids to discourage pain medication abuse. They also suggested creating widespread training programs for the drug naloxone, which can be used during an opioid overdose to save somebody's life. Additionally, they recommended expanding access to addiction treatments and making it more affordable. 
one of the pharmaceutical companies that is responsible for the widespread distribution of opioids, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, finally pled guilty to federal crimes charged this past October for their role in letting opioid use and abuse run rampant across the United States. They will pay more than $8 million in damages and shut down the entire company. It took many years for the company to be held accountable for its crimes, and even now, the punishments against them are not fully representative of the lives opioids have damaged and ended. Overall, the leading cause of death in the United States are heart disease and cancer, which claim one in six and one in seven lives, respectively. These deaths are considered different from opioid overdoses or car accidents because they aren't preventable in the same way, like how there's no cure for cancer. The director for the National Safety Council noted that the specific recording of preventable deaths is important because they usually strike midlife and cause much more anguish and tragedy for one's family than deaths that are natural and closer to the end of life. The head of the National Safety Council also stressed that in general, humans are bad at addressing their own risks. We tend to think we're invincible, but of course that is not the case. The hope is that rather than scaring us into never leaving our houses, these statistics will simply help people take a more risk-averse approach to life and take care to not put themselves in harm's way. People don't always guess the most common ways of dying. We're always afraid of dying in plane crashes or getting murdered, but comparatively, that's way less likely than things like opioid overdoses or car crashes. For instance, the chance of dying in a bad storm is only 1 in 31,394, and the chance of dying in a plane crash is way less likely, 1 in 188,364. So when plane travel is allowed again, let's be less afraid of that and more vigilant about opioid addiction and car crashes. If you or anyone you know is struggling with opioid use, know that there are resources out there to help. SAMHSA, or the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, has a free helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. And now for today's music fact. Today, in 2012, Lana Del Rey performed on SNL, and people were not into it. She performed video games and blue jeans, and critics, music bloggers, and general TV watchers were quick to malign her performance style. They said she looked lethargic and negged her relentlessly, attacking her on social media and making fun of everything from her performance to her personal life to her artistic credentials. Even NBC News anchor Brian Williams talked smack on her performance in a leaked email to Gawker founder Nick Denton, saying it was one of the worst outings in SNL history. Ouch! Well, at least we know today that Lana came back swinging. Daniel Radcliffe, who was also guesting on the show, quickly came to Lana's defense. It was unfortunate that people seemed to turn on her so quickly. I also think people are making it about things other than the performance. If you read what people are saying about her online, it's all about her past and her family and stuff that's nobody else's business. I don't think her performance warranted anywhere near that reaction. Radcliffe's analysis may explain the truth about pop stars. People love to criticize them. But it's not always about their art. It's just as often about assumptions that the general public makes about them based off very little factual information. For her part, Lana kept her head held high and said of the performance, I actually felt good about it. I thought I looked beautiful and sang fine. I know some people didn't like it, but that's just the way I perform. And my fans know that. Looking back on it, she was totally right. Not everyone likes Lana's performance style, but her fans love it, and that's all that matters. Well, Lana won in the end when her album Born to Die was released two weeks later and kept climbing in the charts until it earned her a global fan base who still support her to this day. Lana's also had her fair share of interesting moments during this last year with quarantine. I'm sure that you could look them up if you would like to. And even recently announced that she possibly has a new album coming out called Chemtrails Over the Country Club. 
And now for today's final segment, I'll be going back into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a January 14th in my life. So it looks like on January 14th, 2018, I went to the Exploratorium in San Francisco with my aunt who was visiting from Hong Kong. And if you ever get the chance to go to San Francisco, you should definitely hit up the Exploratorium because it's it's a science museum and it's so fun. And when you go inside, it makes you feel like you're a little kid again. And ugh, I cannot wait until museums are like comfortably reopened again because I just have such fond memories of being able to go and interact um, with my family members and visit places like that with them as well and just like people watch in the least creepy way possible. <laughs> Let's travel back in time again tomorrow. Remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow along at 365 Days MXM Tune on all platforms. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day so don't leave too soon I'm gonna teach you stuff No, it won't be tough Gonna go a year till you've had enough It's 365